Welcome to another inspirational message from London Life Church. You're listening to our Sermon of the Week. This is my first time to be in London Life, and I'm really happy. Oftentimes I have dropped to Bell, uh, because usually we had uh, some other ministry in the afternoon. So we leave Bell to our ministry, and we stick to our ministry. And, um, but this church and its ministry uh, has been wonderful to our family because this is where Belle found a refuge in her teenage days to discover God for herself. You know, you cannot inherit God. You have to discover God. It doesn't work in a generation. You know, every person has to come to God like a sinner. You cannot come through the back door. And I'm happy that um, Belle uh, had progressed spiritually by worshiping in this place. Some time ago, my two daughters bought me a t-shirt. And you can understand why I'm not scared. And the t-shirt said, I'm not afraid, this is on a Father's Day, because I have two daughters. That day, we went and they took me out to invite me in the middle of the city. Boy, I walked like any king. I don't think even Gaddafi with his special forces, female forces around him, bodyguards, felt like that. I was so proud. And I'm really proud to say that both my daughters are here, Mika and Mehitabar. Sorry, my wife could not be here today. Yes, as I was introduced, I'm a medical doctor and a surgeon with a special interest in kidney transplant. So not only do I value the human body, the human life itself, but I see the words of every organ in you and me. We have been fearfully and wonderfully made. If only we would know how God has made us, how much we would respect ourselves. And above all, for us to become the children of God and the price that has been paid for you and me, that makes us extra special and precious. Friends, when we realize the words that we have in God, we can never, never be made miserable. I'm usually for a Bible lesson and study. And I have been a Sabbath school facilitator in my church for over 15 years at Central Adventist Church. Some of you might have seen me. By the way, glad to see some people from North Wembley today here. Um, it's beautiful. And thank you for the worship team. All the songs that you sang today are just saying, how does God communicate? And um, it's really been wonderful. It's just like you knew what I was going to present today. And, um, and so I'm really grateful you know, to God that we have uh, this occasion. And as a doctor, obviously, I'm attracted to things in the Bible that talk about healing. And there is lots of them. The challenge of a preacher often are, what should I present today? And it's not an easy decision to do. There's lots of things I can share today, but I wanted to know that God wants to me to present to you because I don't know who's going to be here. I don't know who's going to be online and listening to this message. But I hope and I pray, and God always answers my prayer, that the message that I will be presenting to you today, sharing with you, not only would it inspire you to go back to the Bible and not underestimate the stories in the Bible, but the more you dwell on them, the more you dig, the more you find that there are precious jewels in them to discover. You know, refreshing messages in them. And, um, and I hope that will stimulate you to want to go to the Bible and study. You know what we are missing? I wish the focus of our church was more of Bible study than a sermon. At the best of time, even with the best lecturer, you can only remember 20% of what the person has said at the end of it. And that is if you don't get distracted. And the devil always comes to distract people in church. In my days, it used to be daydreaming because we didn't have any, any mobiles then, any social media. But nowadays, there are lots of things that can steal a, pe- a person away. And some days, sometimes, you have what we call a secret rapture. People are sitting here, and there is a sleep that comes to take you away when you're sitting in church. So uh, it is not easy. 
when I looked at this story, I said, what is the best and the fitting topic for this part of the story? Much topics could have been selected. But the one that came to me is, Jesus is the best of friends we have. And I have prayerfully, carefully selected the topic. Because that part of the Bible is about friends. And how many friends are there? To the paralytic man? How many friends did he have? Four? Any other answer? How many friends? Wow. Reading at that part of the story, I will excuse you if you say four. At any time in your life or when you die, you at least need four friends. Four friends, friends to carry you when you say goodbye. But in life, you need at least four friends. But in that story, there is actually the answer is five. Because the four friends brought him to a better friend. That is the beauty of that story. You need four friends, good friends. But you need the best friend. If you only have good friends, four good friends, and in life you haven't come to know the best friend, you cannot be undone from your shame. It is that one friend that makes the difference. There will be four friends that will go extra mile for you. But there is no one that can go all the way for you. And as you know, this story actually depicts the beauty of the gospel. Everything about that story depicts the gospel. And this is, this is why I love Bible study. When you are in a group, and if I were to tell you what we're going to study today, you would all have, would have studied it, and we come together, and we would have seen it from different angles, and it's just like a feast. And at the, at the Advent Center, we actually, the elders made a decision that the sermon is not the best part of the church. The Bible study is the best part of the church. So I, still, I think that, you know, the practice is still there. So you come in for the sermon first, and then you go into the Bible study. And in the Bible study, you sit for hours feasting on the Word of God. So everybody needs friends. I went to a seminar on mental health at some stage. I think it was about two or three years ago when there was a lot of suicide incidents in the UK, including the universities. And I'm Ethiopian, and a few of us doctors, we got together, and uh, we made an initiative to reach out to the community because every part of the community was affected. And I remember one consultant psychiatrist friend was giving uh, a lecture, and he said, you need five friends to have good mental state in your life. Can you think of five friends, just like the, the five fingers here, friends that you can call day or night? These are what you call good friends. You can pick up the phone, whether it is midnight or way after midnight, and you can call and you can be sure they would answer the phone. And he said, one of the best prevention of mental health is to have friends and to have good friends. It's these good friends that understand you, that do not judge you. It's these friends that want to go that mile with you. Even if they can't help you all the way, they can take you to where you can get better help. It's like the Good Samaritan story. And that's why a lot about mental health support is called the Good Samaritan. So, in this story, the story is actually quoted or written in three parts of the gospel. You wonder why John has missed the story. It's in Mark chapter 12, chapter 2, verse 1 to 12, in Matthew 9, 1 to 8. But the interesting thing is, John does not mention this specific paralytic man, but he mentions another paralytic person by the poolside. Somebody who was paralyzed for 38 years. 
Do you remember what that person said to Jesus? Jesus said, what are you doing? You're so close to the pool. And yet, you are in this state. And he looked at Jesus and said, I have no friend. This is the most awful things you can hear from people. When they have been in the same church, when they have been in the same community, when they have been in the same marriage, in the same family, and to still feel alone. The precursor of all mental illnesses is loneliness. It could be devastating when you feel alone, when you feel helpless and hopeless, when you have a, you know, your human value is devalued. That's even worse. But loneliness is terrible. And it is sad that there are people in the community that still feel lonely. I heard a lecture about loneliness sometime. A grandmother, despite having many generations of children, she was still feeling lonely. How is that possible? And for that person to live 38 years in that community and not have any friends. But the beauty of the, the story that we are considering today, what makes it good is that he had at least four friends. Even if he was to die, he can be sure he can be taken to the burial site and not be thrown away somewhere. Four people. I was going to bring a special mat and see if three people can raise it or two people. You can't. You need four people. Then they can pick you up. Going back to the story, you want to get the best part and the whole part of any story, you have to read where it has been mentioned in the Bible. So you look at Mark and you look at Matthew. And then the whole picture comes together. Beautiful. What is missing in one, you can get it on the other. So when you, when you look at, you know, the whole story together, this story happened in a city called Capernaum. Capernaum is one of the cities where Jesus actually started his ministry. And he, ministry, he ministered in that city for quite a long time. And then suddenly, now look at this. Jesus decided to move away. Wow. This is one of the little things we learn as we go along to the story. He decided to move away despite having a flourishing ministry. Brothers and sisters, a mobile ministry is very, very important. Even, in, even if you are in a job, let's take it practically. You don't want to stay in a job for more than three or four years in the same post. You'll be like, and the t-shirt said, I'm not afraid, this is on a Father's Day, because I have two daughters. That day, we went and they took me out to invite me in the middle of the city. Boy, I walked like any king. I don't think even Gaddafi with his special forces, female forces around him, bodyguards, felt like that. I was so proud. And I'm really proud to say that both my daughters are here, Mika and Mehitabar. Uh, sorry, my wife could not be here today. Yes, as I was introduced, I'm a medical doctor and a surgeon with a special interest in kidney transplant. So not only do I value the human body, the human life itself, but I see the worth of every organ in you and me. We have been fearfully and wonderfully made. If only we would know how God has made us, how much we would respect ourselves. And above all, for us to be, become the children of God, and the price that has been paid for you and me, that makes us extra special and precious. Friends, when we realize the words that we have in God, we can never, never be made miserable. I'm usually for a Bible lesson and study. And I have been a Sabbath school facilitator in my church for over 15 years at Central Adventist Church. Some of you might have seen me. By the way, glad to see some people from North Wembley today here. Um, it's beautiful. And thank you for the worship team. All the songs that you sang today are just saying, how does God communicate? And um, it's really been wonderful. It's just like you knew what I was going to present today. And, um, and so I'm really grateful you know, to God that we have uh, this occasion. And as a doctor, obviously, I'm attracted to things in the Bible that talk about healing. And there is lots of them. The challenge 
of a preacher often are, what should I present today? And it's not an easy decision to do. There's lots of things I can share today. But I wanted to know that God wants to, me to present to you because I don't know who's going to be here. I don't know who's going to be online and listening to this message. But I hope and I pray, and God always answers my prayer, that the message that I will be presenting to you today, sharing with you, not only would it inspire you to go back to the Bible and not underestimate the stories in the Bible, but the more you dwell on them, the more you dig, the more you find that there are, there are precious jewels in them to discover. You know, refreshing messages in them. And, um, and I hope that will stimulate you to want to go to the Bible and study. You know what we are missing? I wish the focus of our church was more of Bible study than a sermon. At the best of time, even with the best lecturer, you can only remember 20% of what the person has said at the end of it. And that is if you don't get distracted. And the devil always comes to distract people in church. In my days, it used to be daydreaming because we didn't have any, any mobiles then, any social media. But nowadays, there are lots of things that can steal a person away. And some days, sometimes, you have what we call a secret rapture. People are sitting here, and there is a sleep that comes to take you away when you're sitting in church. So uh, it is not easy. When I looked at the story, I said, what is the best and the fitting topic for this part of the story? Much topics could have been selected. But the one that came to me is, Jesus is the best of friends we have. And I have prayerfully, carefully selected the topic. Because that part of the Bible is about friends. And how many friends are there to the paralytic man? How many friends did he have? Four? Any other answer? How many friends? Wow. Reading at that part of the story, I will excuse you if you say four. At any time in your life, or when you die, you at least need four friends. Four friends, friends to carry you when you say goodbye. But in life, you need at least four friends. But in that story, there is actually, the answer is five. Because the four friends brought him to a better friend. That is the beauty of that story. You need four friends, good friends, but you need the best friend. If you only have good friends, four good friends, and in life you haven't come to know the best friend, you cannot be undone from your shame. It is that one friend that makes the difference. There will be four friends that will go extra mile for you, but there is no one that can go all the way for you. And as you know, this story actually depicts the beauty of the gospel. Everything about that story depicts the gospel. And this is, this is why I love Bible study. When you are in a group, and if I were to tell you what we're going to study today, you would all have, would have studied it, and we come together, and we would have seen it from different angles, and it's just like a fist. And at the, at the Advent Center, we actually, the elders made a decision that the sermon is not the best part of the church. The Bible study is the best part of the church. So I, still, I think that, you know, the practice is still there. So you come in for the sermon first, and then you go into the Bible study. And in the Bible study, you sit for hours feasting on the Word of God. So everybody needs friends. I went to a seminar on mental health at some stage, I think it was about two or three years ago, when there was a lot of suicide incidents in the UK, including the universities. And I'm Ethiopian, and a few of us doctors, we got together, and uh, we made an initiative to reach out to the community, because every part of the community was affected. And I remember 
one consultant psychiatrist friend was giving uh, a lecture and he said, you need five friends to have good mental state in your life. Can you think of five friends, just like the, the five fingers here, friends that you can call day or night? These are what you call good friends. You can pick up the phone, whether it is midnight or way after midnight, and you can call and you can be sure they would answer the phone. And he said, one of the best prevention of mental health is to have friends and to have good friends. It's these good friends that understand you, that do not judge you. It's these friends that want to go that mile with you. Even if they can't help you all the way, they can take you to where you can get better help. It's like the Good Samaritan story. And that's why a lot about mental health support is called the Good Samaritan. Okay. So in this story, the story is actually quoted or written in three parts of the gospel. You wonder why John has missed the story. It's in Mark chapter 12, chapter 2, verse 1 to 12, in Matthew 9, 1 to 8. But the interesting thing is, John does not mention this specific paralytic man, but he mentions another paralytic person by the poolside, somebody who was paralyzed for 38 years. Do you remember what that person said to Jesus? Jesus said, what are you doing? You're so close to the pool. And yet, you are in this state. And he looked at Jesus and said, I have no friend. This is the most awful things you can hear from people. When they have been in the same church, when they have been in the same community, when they have been in the same marriage, in the same family, and to still feel alone. The precursor of all mental illnesses is loneliness. It could be devastating when you feel alone, when you feel helpless and hopeless, when you have a, you know, your human value is devalued. That's even worse. But loneliness is terrible. And it is sad that there are people in the community that still feel lonely. I heard a lecture about loneliness sometime. A grandmother, despite having many generations of children, she was still feeling lonely. How is that possible? And for that person to live 38 years in that community and not have any friends. But the beauty of the, the story that we are considering today, what makes it good is that he had at least four friends. Even if he was to die, he can be sure he can be taken to the burial site and not be thrown away somewhere. Four people. I was going to bring a special mat and see if three people can raise it or two people. You can't. You need four people. Then they can pick you up. Going back to the story, you want to get the best part and the whole part of any story. You have to read where it has been mentioned in the Bible. So you look at Mark and you look at Matthew. And then the whole picture comes together. Beautiful. What is missing in one, you can get it on the other. So when you, when you look at, you know, the whole story together, this story happened in a city called Capernaum. Capernaum is one of the cities where Jesus actually started his ministry. And he, ministry, he ministered in that city for quite a long time. And then suddenly, now look at this. Jesus decided to move away. Wow. This one of... The little things we learn as we go along to the story. He decided to move away despite having a flourishing ministry. Brothers and sisters, a mobile ministry is very, very important. Even, in a, even if you are in a job, let's take it practically. You don't want to stay in a job for more than three or four years in the same post. You'll be like a furniture. So you've got to move. And maybe you can come back at a higher level. So that's one of the, I think, the reasons why they move the pastors around. It would not be good for one person to stick in one ministry for too long a time. I was a Sabbath school facilitator for too long. I wish I learned this long time ago. I did hand over to people, but I should have done it long time ago. So Abraham moved from place to place. He never stayed in one place. 
So a moving mobile ministry is quite effective. It's quite effective for the person and for the ministry at large. So having gone away from Capernaum, Jesus comes back now to Capernaum. Now, it says Jesus came into a house. And I was wondering whose house that is. But if you go back to Mark chapter 1, the story actually tells us that he was in the house of Peter. And that is where the mother-in-law had a high fever. And Jesus touched her. Not only did she recover, she, she had the full strength to actually make some food for them. It's interesting what Jesus does. It's not like us doctors, you have to go to physio and then recover. Maybe in a year's time, you might get 50%, 60%, you know, okay. And then eventually you might regain if you're lucky. Even with COVID, there's what we call a long COVID symptoms that you have to catch up, you know, and um, for a long time. And there is a long fear, there's a big fear by mental health experts that even if COVID was to end today, there would be a tsunami of mental illness because of the lockdown and the experience of going through COVID. So uh, we come back to the story. So Jesus came to Peter's house because that is the only house he could have come when he comes back to Capernaum. Say if Jesus was to go to um, Bethany, which house do you think he would go? To Mary and Lazarus' house. That is the only house he had. That is the place where he, where he felt friends. Because Jesus did not have a house for himself. He didn't have a place for himself. So the story seems like it has occurred in Simon's house. And now you can understand why Peter had to put up when somebody was demolishing his roof. If it was anybody else, I think there would have been a riot in that place. So when people heard that Jesus has come back to the city again, you can use the, the modern language of it went viral. They didn't have the social media. But as soon as he came back, the whole city knew that Jesus had come. What kind of audiences did Jesus attract? Sadly, it was the Pharisees and the doctors, they called them the scribes. When you are a Pharisee, and you are very intellectual, you become a teacher, a doctor, a philosopher, and your name is a scriber. And these people, because of their intellect, were also highly connected to the political system of the time. So they were highly feared. So the Jew were afraid of the religious leaders and also the political and religious connections that the Sadducees and the scribes had to the government. So this was the kind of people that came to the house where Jesus was. Can you imagine what a crowd does? And Jesus has always had the problem with crowds. They are called fans. And they are, they are not the best of fans because they filled the place and the people who had the need to see Jesus could not access Jesus. It reminds all of us to have a purpose when coming to the house of God. Do we come to crowd? To be a fun? Or do we have a purpose like the woman with 12 years of bleeding? She had a purpose for coming to church. When I go to church, I'm going to see God. He's going to speak to me. I'm not going to go away the same way I've gone in. That is a purposeful coming to church. By the way, it's not only with coming to the church, but even with giving offering. A couple of times, if you've seen in church, people, when it's offering time, they go to this pocket, and then this pocket, and then that pocket, and this pocket. That is wrong, my friends. God loves a purposeful giving. When that lady came, that widow came to church, she had two P at home. With intent and purpose, she came with the two P in her hands. But there were these very rich people. They, kept, they couldn't even carry their money. And they had somebody to carry for them. And then they would go and make this splashing noise. And then they would pick up the coins and put them in the offering. God did not accept that kind of emotionally driven 
giving. Whether we sing, whether we teach, whether we preach, whether we do anything in the house of God, there has to be a purpose and a good intent to it for God to take notice of it. So the house is now filled with unwanted visitors. Visitors that would be wasting the space. And here comes that paralytic person. He must have heard when Jesus was in Capernaum with all the miracles that he has done and he went away, he said, I miss my chances. I wonder when he's going to come back. But as soon as Jesus came, he, he had already mobilized his good friends by then. And he told them what he wanted to do. You know, your good friends can only take you to where you want to go. You should never allow people to take you to where they want to go. I couldn't take my children to where I want to go. I had to allow them to go to where they want to go. The prodigal son had that space where the father said, I have trained you up to this now. This is what you want to do. You can go alone. I can't go with you. Friends, it is very important when we have friends that we ourselves know where we want to go. Otherwise, our friends will take us where they want to go. So this paralytic person had a purpose. And he said to his friends, in no uncertain words, I want you to take me to where I can see Jesus. It doesn't matter what you do, but I want you to take me there. This is the only thing I ask of you before I die. Because that man was not only paralytic, he was a helpless and hopeless man. Physically, spiritually, emotionally, he was in bankruptcy. When you reach that level, the next thing is, you know, you lose value of yourself. It's not easy when you reach that stage. You know, a lot of people that commit suicide, they do regret once they have done the action, but it's too late. When you have lost your self-worth, when you have lost, you know, the value that God has placed in you, it is very fearful. I wish Judas could, could figure out just before he hung on the rope that Jesus refers him as a friend still. There was no need to kill himself. There is no need. I remember of a story when Luther, the preacher, was walking from place to place preaching the gospel and he came through some bushes and a robber came out and he said, I want your money. And in those days they used to have a purse with their money, offering money, I suppose. And he said, what do you want? I want your money. So he went to his pocket and he threw it at him. And the man was happy, the robber was happy. But he said one thing, a day will come in your life when you will be ashamed of the things that you do. But remember at that time, God loves you. What a turning point, what a turning message. When everybody has turned against you, friends, it's good to know there is one friend that does not turn away from you. If Judas only knew that like Peter, there was hope for him. I've always wanted for my daughters to learn one thing, that my love to them might change, but God's love for them would never change and is never unconditional. If only they remember this, they would sail through life. Very important. That hope of salvation, protect your head. God loves you and cares about you. So when they took him, the house is full, I mean, like now, we're lucky there are still chairs here. Anybody welcome here. <laughs> but at that time, the wrong congregation has crowded the room. And the needy people could not even come to church. And they came through the door. There was no way in. And they go, went around the house. There is no other door. But this man were determined. Remember, you ask your friends where you want to go. And so he said to them, you're my friends. 
and I trust you for such a day. I don't know what you do and how you can do it, but I want you to take me to where Jesus is. But they looked at each other and said, but we can't. There's all these people. We can't even push through them. Even like that woman with 12 years of bleeding, I don't know what strength she had to push through the crowd. And they were big men. And her body was fragile. But when you, when you really want something, you really want to go for it. If you really seek God with all your heart, the Bible says you will always find him. Always find him. Always find him. What do you, what do you think the um, profession of this paralytic person was? I have a feeling he was a robber. In his robbing days, he would go to rob people's house. But all the doors are closed. So what do you think he would do? He would go up the roof, pick up the tiles, and remove the rough tree, and jump in. And if he came at 3 o'clock in the morning, where a lot of wars in the world start, people would not even know when he walked among them. They wouldn't know. So he said, I've got an idea. There's a staircase outside the house. Very easy for the robber. In those days, that's the, the kind of house they used to make. Now, carry me through the staircase and move some of the tiles and figure out where Jesus is and just drop me there. If I can get down there, deal done. There's nothing else I would expect of you. It's quite a, it's quite a very interesting story. So they scratched their head. They have never done it before. They went up the roof. They started to pick some of the tiles. You can't imagine what the people downstairs are feeling. What's going to happen? If we were to hear some movements from there, I think we'll, we'll all be concerned, wouldn't we? It would distract us from whatever is happening in the church. But sooner, there was a big hole that opened. And down came a strange object. They didn't even know whether it's a human being or what. And they lowered him right in the center of the house at the foot of Jesus. I mean, this is like modern technology. You know? Very guided. Laser guided. Couldn't be any better place at the foot of Jesus. And Jesus was looking at them. And as soon as he comes down, there are three ways he refers to the man. In one, he calls him man. In the second, he calls him my son. In the third, he calls him friend. Beautiful descriptions. Friends, when you go through some shameful pathway in your life, a time comes when you actually hate yourself. You don't even consider yourself to be a man or a woman. Such was the state of the man. And by saying man, God is actually restoring the image that he should have. Wow, even something better comes. And he calls him, my dear son, be of good cheer. What a beautiful thing to hear. This is like a therapy. This is like the best psychotherapy. You know, when people go through difficulties, the psychotherapist would like to help them to elevate their minds to accepting their words, their values. And when he has done that click, everything falls in line. So he looks at the man and says, be of good cheer. You know, sometimes we are in a problem and our friends come and say, oh, it's okay, be of good cheer. It's not going to change. But when Jesus says, be of good cheer, he means what he says. You can expect, you can raise your expectation. Because sometimes when people say, you know, cheers, be of good cheer, they raise your expectation only for you to be disappointed. But Jesus raises the bar beyond that which is humanly describable. And he says to the man, be of good cheer, of good cheer. It's about time that you smile. It's about time that you cheer up. Not only become a man, but I want you to be my son. Wouldn't that remind you of the prodigal son? 
In some ways, this man, in his life, was a very extravagant. He lived a very extravagant life. He messed up his life. He's used life. He's years in activities that were not very moral. And he got himself into the state that he was now. So he was a Western. He was Western and a Western. Who would give him value? Remember the prodigal son when he came? His brother would not even want to see him. But here was Jesus. If he came through the door and the Pharisees saw him, most likely they would have thrown him away. It's good that he came straight to the foot of Jesus. And in that story, Jesus looks at him like a good physician. A very good friend of ours recently had a gallbladder problem. And he went to the hospital and was told, you have a gallbladder problem, and you most likely need an operation for that. But we're not sure if it's a cancer or just a gallstone. So we're going to do an MRI for you. A little bit excessive investigation, but that's what he needed. It was private. And so he went for an MRI. And he was found to have prostatic cancer, which he never knew. So what do you think the doctors would do? Which one would they go for? The cancer or the gallbladder? It's obvious. Which one is the main killer? It's the cancer. The other one, he can have it in six months. So here is the greatest physician. A man is Lord in front of him. Physically, spiritually, mentally affected person. And the physician looks down at him. And he prioritizes his need. Isn't it wonderful that we, when we pray, we say, not my will, but your will be done? If God was to do things in our life the way we want, or the way other people think we need, it would go pear-shaped. I'm happy that God knows better. That when we come to him, he looks at the agendas that we have, and he prioritizes them according to the best that he sees for us. What a God, my friends. What a God. What a beautiful God. And he looks at him. If he was to ask the Pharisees, who were they? By the way, they used to be, doc they used to be called doctors in this time. If you had leprosy and you got him, you need to go and see yourself, the priest or the Pharisees. And they would check you. And then they say, now you can join the community. You don't have COVID. COVID-free, leprosy-free. <laughs> In those days, it was a fearful thing to have. So he looks down at him, and he knows where the big problem is. You know, if you are an addicted person, say you are addicted to alcohol, and your liver is messed up, totally messed up, and the liver is the most tolerant organ in the body. And then the time comes when your liver says, you know what, I've had enough. And then the doctor says, your only chance is for you to have a liver transplant. I'm telling you the story of George Best, the most famous football player, the most adored, the most revered football player, who died at the age of 59. And then the doctor said, no, we can't. We can't transplant you. Why not? I'm a very famous person. I'm a VIP. Tell him, if we give you another liver, you're going to mess it up again. We have to unmess you first. Then we give you the liver, it will stay with you. And George promised, pleaded, never again, I would not touch alcohol. It doesn't work like that, my friends. Life never changed by resolution. We can learn from Peter. You can swear the best way you can, godly, if there's anything godly swear. I'll never do it again. You know, the New Year resolution, it doesn't work like that. There's only one person who not only takes care of the mess, but unmesses the messer, and that is called Jesus. So George was given a liver transplant. And you know, you know what happened. 
16 months after the transplant, he started drinking like nobody's business. And in the end, George died. George died because his soul was not cured. Only his liver was transplanted. So when Jesus looked at this man, if he was to restore his leg and ask him to go home, he would exactly go into the same lifestyle again. And four or five years down the line, he might even be worse. And that is the story that comes in the, in the person that was healed at Bethesda. When Jesus healed him first physically, that was not enough. Because sometimes God gives what we need first because we can't accept his will. And then he backs it up later on. He meets him afterwards because he didn't even know who healed him. And he says, don't mess up your life again because things can get worse. So in the first instance, he healed him from his paralytic condition. On the second instant, he gave him a deeper healing. Just like Naaman had to dip himself seven times. So God has wonderful ways of coming to people's life. But in this particular story, Jesus looks at the man and says, I need to unmiss you first. I need to give you a better dignity, a better life, a better purpose to live. And then the Pharisees looked at Jesus and said, come on, this is cheating. How do we know whether he has, he's been forgiven or not? If you really have the authority, you should have said, arise and walk. That's what we expected. That's what we heard about you. And that's what we have, we have come to investigate, whether you are a fraudulent person or you are a godly man. Now you're cheating us. And Jesus looks at their complaining and murmuring. Now here's another lesson to take from the story. Complaining and murmuring destroys communities. Remember the Israelites? After they came from Egypt, they were complaining and murmuring. God does not want us to complain and murmur. A lot of complaining and murmuring goes in church. The church is destroyed. What does God want? God says, let us reason together. You know the word reason means, let us speak with intellect, with understanding. So God looks at their complaining and their groaning and says, come on, speak up, speak loud. Let's hear what you have to say. Let's speak with reason. Because God has made us precious in that our thinking facility is much bigger for the body that we have. There are bigger animals that we are. But in proportion, their thinking ability, their center in the brain is very small. But in us, it's the opposite. We have what we call an emotional brain. We have what we call a thinking brain. God wants us to engage with him and with others with our thinking brain. When we don't, we go into the murmuring and complaining, which destroys things. So he says to them, now, come on, let's reason. Which is better? To give somebody a liver transplant and then he goes back drinking again and destroys himself? Or to, first to change his life and then give him a liver transplant? You know, what, which one makes common sense? And they could not say a word. But you know what? I've done this for a purpose. So that you would know there are things in life that other friends can do. But there is only one friend that can do something different. And he said to the man, three things. Arise, specific instructions. You know, when you go to the doctor, see a doctor, you get specific instructions, prescription. And you have to follow them accordingly. Now look at what Jesus says as a physician and look at how the man obeys everything according to what Jesus said. He said, arise, take up your bed, and then what? He didn't say go. He gave him a specific postcode. He said, go to your house. Because in those days, we used to go to people's house to rob. Now, he can be happy to be in his house and to see his family. And for the family to see, he's a changed man because he was never at home. He's out there in the dark. 
Remember when Jesus healed the man with legion? He said, I want to follow you. Jesus said, no, I have a work for you. Go back to your community. Go back to your community. And so the man does the three things. He got up, picked up his mat, and went home. But he added one thing that the singers did. Did, did Jesus ask him to worship him? No, no, no. You know, you never ask to worship God. It comes as a, a, a response in you. Jesus did not tell Mary to go and, and get the most expensive perfume. This was an act of gratitude. That is unstoppable. You know, when you understand and appreciate what God means for you, you don't need somebody saying, oh, come on, sing loud. No, you don't need that. When you go to heaven, sadly, there won't be a lot of instruments. But the way we're going to sing is, is beautiful. Like huge water. Like huge water. So, um, friends, the story of this part is that we have a better friend than all friends. And his name is called Jesus. I want the singers to come and take their places as we conclude. Because Jesus is the only one that came all the way from heaven, not through the roof, but all the way from heaven to be with us, to open that roof, to open that way so that we can have an access to healing. We can have access right to the center of the throne of God and that we can refer to God saying, Abba, Abba. Friends, you have nothing to fear when Jesus becomes the best friend in your life. You need four good friends, human friends, but you need the best of friends for he is willing to go all the way with you and he would not stop until he sees you in the middle of the new city of Jerusalem. If you can put up the last verse that I wanted from Ephesians, I'd be very happy. God says, I know I have the plans, the plans that I have for you. The plans that God has for you, no one can stop them. And Ephesians tells us what God can do. It's indescribable. It's amazing. It's wonderful. They were short of words to describe what they have seen happening on that day. And that is exactly what Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20 describes. Do you have it? Yes. Now, to him who is able, the best friend, who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power, that is that is at work within us. To him be the glory now and forever. Amen. This is the end of this broadcast. We hope you've been encouraged and inspired. For more information, please visit LondonLiveChurch.com.